Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. It's time to do your DBR. Good How does morning. that go in real life? Because I I make up words after the first two. <laughs> I, honestly, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't I, remember, but I just know that the melody is just stuck in my head. It refuses to to leave. Yeah, living in my head rent free, as the youngins say. Yeah, well, because you know why that song is busting. That's why, Pastor PJ. No cap. No, no cap. cap. Oh, if you were at our church last Sunday, you know what we're talking about. If, if not, you're somewhere else, then you have no clue what we're saying. Yeah. Unless you're a, a gen, what gen are they? Gen, gen Z. Z. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think Gen Z is the most sticky generational designation, although even that's su- suspect. Did you hear that? There's a, there are some reports suggesting that the gener- the generational definitions are not all that helpful after all. Shocking. I know, right? Shocking. Like these broad generalizations just really don't do a whole lot. You mean everybody doesn't fit one particular stereotype? Crazy. Yeah. Although I was having a conversation with somebody about this on Sunday and stereotypes exist for a reason, don't they? They do. Because there are enough people who do fit it. Let's talk about some of those stereotypes, Pastor PJ. Come on. Well, I mean, gen millennial, right? I'm, I'm an, I guess I would be an early millennial. I'm mm. on the, the front end of the millennial okay. age range there, born in 84. So yeah. I can't remember exactly when it starts, 80, 82. There's, and that's there's, the thing. They're soft edges. Yeah, they're soft edges. Yeah. So I mean, I guess I'm an old millennial, if if maybe that, that would be the... But people used to trash millennials all the time. Senior millennial. Right? Yeah, that's true. As I irresponsible and the trophy generation and that. you know the participation award stuff. Yeah, so it's it's true. People have those stereotypes, you know, and, uh, and, and, and they exist for a reason. It's fascinating to consider the kind of, I don't know, the impact that the culture experiencing the same event at the same time, roughly in those formative years. I think there's something interesting about that, yeah. whether or not they're actually all that helpful when it comes down to the brass tacks of a certain individual. Meh. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Broad, broad 30,000 foot view of a generation. Yeah. I think you can draw some conclusions, right? But yeah, doesn't mean everybody's that way. Well, hey, we are jumping into Psalm 73 and 74 this morning and uh, starting book three in the Psalm. So if that matters and moves the needle for you, congratulations. Happy book three. We're going to give you a trophy. A participation award. That's right. Yep. No, we're not. But uh, this is another Psalm of Asaph, or you may prefer Asaph. Uh, but yeah, either way, I've heard it both ways, but a Psalm of Asaph and, uh, he is basically in Psalm 73, uh, saying, look, even though present circumstances may cause us to doubt, God is going to see that justice is done. So in this Psalm, you get some of the same laments that, uh, Job had and that, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon will have too. even just kind of looking at the disparity between the wicked and the good and, and the, the psalmist, uh, Asaph, I'm just going to call him Asaph because I feel weird saying Asaph. Uh, Asaph, he's he's just, he's kind of wearing it right now and, and going to the Lord saying like in verse 12, behold, the wicked, they're, they're always at ease and they increase in riches and in vain. Notice his frustration with, with things right now. All in vain have I kept my heart clean because look, they're living it up. And, and nothing's happening to them. And so it's this internal struggle that we kind of get a glimpse into the heart of the psalmist here. 
where he's battling this because he's saying, look, I've washed my hands in innocence. I've kept my heart clean. I've been stricken and rebuked every morning as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of saying, what, what gives here? But then he corrects himself in verse 16. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And so here you have the psalmist Asaph saying, look, I was thinking from a fleshly perspective, from a worldly perspective, but when I got a God's eye view of of things, then I remember that justice will be done no matter what circumstances might look like all around me. Verse four, explain why it's a good thing that they're fat. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we look at that today and we think, oh man, that, that, that doesn't sound like a Sounds good like thing. A diss, like Although our, our generation is trying to undo that or the current generation. Well, okay. Fat shaming and, and present generation right. accepting. No, it, it, it used to be though. And even think all the way, this is not even that far distant as ancient Israel in the middle ages. You were thought to be someone of means and you were thought to be beautiful if you were a little Rotund. bit on the, the bigger side of things. <laughs> Because it was a sign that, that you were well supplied, you were well cared for, you you were not gaunt, you were not sickly, you were not mm-hmm. lacking, you had every, all your needs met. And that's what that is is referring to there. Helpful clarification. Yeah, I do. I do really, I mean, verses 25 and 26, I, I, I stayed there. I read that and I thought, man, that's that's my heart, man. Mm. I, I, I started meditating and kind of halfway memorizing it. So even though I know all of us at some point in our lives have maybe looked at across the lawn and say, Lord, why do you bless them so much? And not us when we're, you know, we're serving you and we're doing this and that, but man, whom have I in heaven, but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I know that for many of us, that's aspirational. I mean, it certainly is for me because I know there's lots of things that I desire. There's other, there's other things that compete for my heart's affection. But if, if you would do well, uh, if, if you would do well today by praying this in your time, whom have I in heaven, but you, I mean, ultimately what's your prize? What's your, what's your ultimate treasure? Is it right. not him? Is he not the greatest thing to desire even on earth amidst all the luxuries and the trinkets that you possibly could enjoy? Right. And that's a way to sit at the feet of scripture and make scripture our tutor is when you see something like that and you go, man, that that's not me. Cause I had that same thought. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Like, I'd love to be able to say that. Okay. Well then make that your prayer. Say, God, give me this mindset the, the mindset that I see in the Psalmist here. I want that for me. Show me the things that I desire instead of you and, and, and remove that desire, make that desire to be for you instead or transform it. Right. Like, mm. I think there are good desires that we can have. We can desire to be a godly husband. We can desire to be a godly father. We can desire to be a godly worker, boss, employee. Those are good desires, but they're desires that we want to live out those desires or or obtain those things or fulfill those desires in a way that, that redounds to the glory of God and is not just about our earthly satisfaction in that. Amen to that. And I would even maybe suggest to you, if, if your heart does see verses like that, 25 and 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If your heart says, yes, 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 that's truly what I do. I think our deepest desires aren't always our strongest desires. And for the Christian, our deepest desire is that. Yes, you are my portion. Yes, you are my rock. Um, but maybe the strongest desires right now are those things which vie for the attention in the here and now. Oh, I got to pay the bills and I got to send my kids to college and I got to do this and this and other thing. And I really want to get a new car. I mean, those aren't necessarily bad things. They become bad when they distract you from the ultimate thing. So if your heart does yearn for that, I mean, give that to the Lord and confess that certainly our hearts are divided, which is why we pray, unite my heart to fear your name. We're going to get to that passage in a couple days, I think. Yep. Nevertheless, let your heart be poured out to God, especially as you find a psalm that just resonates and says, yes, 
do yep. that. Spend time with him at that verse. Yep. Yeah. Used good and ultimate. And I think that's a helpful definition of idolatry is when we take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing instead right. of God. Amen. So. Psalm 74. I, <laughs> I just admittedly, I read Psalm 74 just going, okay, what? what is the unifying theme here? Like <laughs> what's going on? It, it, it was, it was somewhat confusing just to read through it, kind of looking for how do we wrap our minds around this? And I, I went to a, a, a commentary for some help on this. And I was pleased that this commentator, Derek Kidner, who's one of the leading commentators for the, the Psalms worth picking up that commentary, by the way. Totally. Uh, yeah. In fact, um, I think it's the Tyndale series. He has written the, the commentary in that, which is uh, a purple cover, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but he called this a tormented psalm. So I was <laughs> like, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not alone here. But he made a, a possible connection, and, and others did too, to the fall of, uh, of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 587 BC. So this is much later than King David. Um, or this, Asaph, if it's who we think it is. If or, it's one of David's or Asaph, men. yep. So yeah, I, I read that too, and yeah. that, that was interesting. I thought, okay, that would fit. That makes sense. But then... What it's about Asaph? From Asaph, right. And yeah, that is the difficulty. There's so many parallels though. For instance, there's parallels with Lamentations chapter two, verses five through nine. Like there's there's similar themes that are are picked up upon here. Um, and the, the language here, when he's talking about what has happened, is such that you would lend it to being that, that time post-exile. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place, verse 4. The enemies are there in Jerusalem. Um, they swing, swing axes in a forest of trees. They're, they're, they're destroying things. They set your sanctuary on fire. Okay, well, what is he talking about there, if not right. the destruction of the temple? That's one of the most compelling pieces of information. Right. And, uh, and so we don't know for sure. Um, it's, it's even interesting that, that he's lamenting, he's questioning how long, verse 10, how long, oh God. And then there's this like respite in verses 12 through 17, where somebody joked as a, on their commentary on this, they said, maybe a, another author came in and took the quill from the, <laughs> the guy that was <laughs> oh, writing. Oh no, you're done right there, buddy. Yeah. Come on. Because in verses 12 through 17, you get this kind of breath of fresh air where he expresses a hope in God. Yet God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. So there's the hope there. And he's reminding of the great power of God and everything. But then, you know, after this, it picks back up this lament and this petition for God to act, God to arise, God to fix, God to subdue, to defend his cause. So Psalm 74, there you go, a tormented psalm tormented psalm but still one that's helpful and again we, we come back to some of these themes that maybe you've heard us say already before but still worth repeating yes god wants us to spend time being real and honest with him pouring out our hearts he doesn't want our formality he doesn't want our repetition he doesn't want us going to the motions and i think this is a if nothing else it's a helpful reminder god wants who you are in all of your fullness, now, granted, you could be disrespectful and dishonoring God. We don't want to do that, but you should bring who you are to God. Let him deal with you. Yes. Well, let's get to Romans chapter five for the next uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> Ish. You hope he's joking. And, and maybe <laughs> maybe don't look at the timing on your podcast. Yet. Right. As, uh, as we looked about yesterday in, in chapter four, the whole concept of justification by faith, right? And that was really the pivot point. That was the, the, the place where, where, um, Abraham or where, where Paul was referencing Abraham's faith and, and how there's parallels there. He's the father of the uncircumcised as well. 
and now we get to chapter five and it, it, and it continues the argument. And Paul, again, is an excellent rhetorician. He's, he's just a master at, at his argument here. And he continues to lay it out and says, therefore, verse one, since we've ju- been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what he's unpacking here in the first 11 verses is that concept that we are now at peace with God because of Jesus. Our sin, which the law reveals, remember, as we've been talking about that, the law doesn't justify us. The law reveals our sin and draws the wrath of God because Mm -hmm. we are sinners. But we have peace through faith. That was chapter four. And that's what uh, Paul continues to unpack there in chapter five as he uh, really talks about the the amazing unmerited favor of God. The, The grace is what we call of God. Pick up in verse six. He says, while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. And in other words, what he's saying there is like, Pastor Rod, you would die for your family because of your love for them. Right. And and you would consider that a good thing to do. Right. But you're not going to die for a total stranger on the street if you know, the, the occasion arose from it. Right. There's, there's that depends, right. It depends, but, or let's, okay, let's say this, you're not going to die for a terrorist right? Probably not. You're not going to jump in front of a bullet to, to save a terrorist's I, life. I, probably not. And and that's his point here. He says, but God, okay, so maybe somebody's going to be self-sacrificial to die for a good cause or a good person or in a good way, right? But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus came after us. I, the way I often refer to it in this passage, look at, just look at the descriptors of us in this passage. We're weak, ungodly, sinful enemies of God. That's who we are apart from Not Christ. Not very complimentary. No, no. There's nothing meritorious about us that would draw the love of God that we've received through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's whole point here, that it's all on grace through faith. What a conflicting message, though, but, but the cultural expectation, or at least the cultural approach to how they view humanity, how they view themselves. Right. Be the best you and, and live in your truth and speak your truth. Uh, you're amazing. You're wonderful. In fact, some of the podcasters or uh, YouTubers that I've seen say, hey, Queens, what's up, Kings? You know, they talk to each other with this grandiose language. And what a contrast that Romans chapter five is. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You hear it all the time. Well, he's a good person. He's a, he's a good person. Yeah. Okay. Well, Paul would say he's a weak, ungodly, sinful enemy of God, right? <laughs> um, Put that on your greeting card. There you go. Yeah. Dear. So, Yeah. From here, he gets to an important doctrine for us, and that is the doctrine of our sin nature. Uh, Maybe you've heard that before. You've heard people reference the sin nature before, and and you may have a concept of what that means, but really here it is. It's laid out for us by Paul in in the rest of Romans chapter 5, and he does so by appealing to the two Adams. So the first Adam, I guess there's three Adams at work because there's Adam... Pastor Rod's Adam as well. So there you go. There's three Adams. But there's two Adams here in Romans chapter five. And the first Adam is the first man, Adam, right? And he talks about how when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And then he makes this statement. He says, and death through sin, verse 12. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Pastor Rod, how in the world did I sin with Adam if I was born way, way, way after Adam and I wasn't there? Adam, the first Adam functions just like the second Adam as our federal head. He's our representative. So whether you like it or not, whether you voted for him or, or not, which you didn't, I didn't either, Adam still functioned as your representative back in the garden. And when Adam sinned, he brought everybody else who would ever come from his loins along with him. And therefore, in the same way, in the same way that in many, many ways, the father of a household can impact the rest of the family. Yep. Adam impacted our human family. Right. I appreciate the use of the word loins there. I was going to bring that up as well, but My you pleasure. did it. So there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, we were we were there metaphorically speaking. Well, not even metaphorically speaking, literally speaking. And 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 guys, here's why the doctrine of creation matters as well. Here's why a literal reading of Genesis matters because it mm. impacts doctrine outside of just the doctrine of creation. It implies the doctrine of original sin. It implies the doctrine of, of total depravity, and it, it impacts or impacts the doctrines of of the spread of sin nature, right? And in fact, this is one reason why it's important that we maintain the distinction that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Christ. And this is a, a key part of the whole concept that the the conception came when the Holy Spirit came upon her. That was not in a, a, a carnal fashion as as it might otherwise be implied, but that was a an act of God whereby the conception took place in a way that the sin nature evident and inherent in humanity from the time of Adam was not passed on to Christ through the natural process of conception and childbirth there. So the Holy Spirit did not have a physical relationship with Mary. Correct. As some some people might teach, correct. There's as a, some cults might teach, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, uh, all, otherwise known as the Mormons, right. do teach that there was an actual physical relationship between actually God the Father and Mary, the woman. Right. That's not happening here. No, that's not happening. Here. And because that didn't happen, the sin that was passed down through Adam doesn't get transmitted to Christ. Correct. Yep. It, which is why this is such a, a massively important passage for us and massively, massively important concept for us to, to, to grab. He goes on, though, to talk about sin reigning. And he, he talks here about sin nature, okay? And he talks about the, the fact that our inherent guilt is, is residing, residing upon our sin nature more than it is, even before it is, I should say, uh, based on our specific acts of sin that we commit. Because he, he says here, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. We've talked about that concept already, that if, if there's no law, if there's no speed limit sign up that says go 65 miles an hour and, and I'm going 95 miles an hour, then no one can come and pull me over and say, you were breaking the law because there was no posted law. There was nothing I was accountable to. No sin to break at right? that point. No law to break. And yet Paul's point is, yet the penalty of sin, which is death, was still active before the law was given. From Adam to Moses, death still reigned, even over those whose sinning was not like Adam. So what does he mean there? Well, he means this. There was something that was causing death to to continue. There was something that was causing the wages of sin to continue to be applied to mankind between Adam and Moses. And it wasn't accountability to a law because there was no law at the time. What was it then? It was the sin nature that was passed from Adam to Moses. Now, were people still rebelling against God during that time period, still sinning? Yes, they were. But the, the guilt that we have is the guilt in Adam, the sin nature that's transferred to us along the way. So to flesh this out then, I am a sinner not because I sin. I'm, I'm a, uh, I sin because I'm a sinner. Right. The, the order of operation is important there. I right. sin because I'm a sinner, not vice versa. Right. Okay, so I, I can already hear a critic or a skeptic saying, well, hold on, that's not fair. Why would God hold me accountable for something my great-great-grandfather did? Well, let me, uh, that's, that's a great question, and, and it leads us to this next section, because he, here's my pushback. If you want to charge God with a lack of fairness for us being accountable in, at, in the first Adam, then you also have to charge God with a lack of fairness for us getting the benefits of the second Adam. And that's where Paul goes here next, and, and that's his argument. He says there's a, a, a counterpart to this, and that is the free gift is not like the trespass, because if many died through the one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Here's the second Adam. Second Adam meaning Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. Jesus was the perfect Adam. Adam had a standard to, to meet, a standard. Adam did have a law. Don't eat from that tree. Adam fell short of the standard. Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God. And he goes on there and he says, 
for the judgment following the one trespass, that's Adam's sin, brought condemnation, verse 16. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Because if the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the man, Jesus Christ. Adam's sin leads to death. Christ's perfect righteousness, perfect obedience leads to life. So if, if, if you're protesting and saying, it's not fair that I should be punished for Adam's sin, then we also have to protest and say, it's not fair that I should receive the benefit and the blessing of Christ's full obedience, which is a free gift that's being offered right now. And so I think that that's my, my first retort to that is it's, it's, there's, there's a counterpart to this that's equally objectionable. In fact, I would say even more so because the, the other response to that is we all do sin, right? And Paul talks about that too. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's no, there's no single person who's lived a perfectly obedient life. And so though our guilt resides ultimately in our connection to Adam, our guilt is also ours because we do sin. So two follow-ups to that then. Number one, it seems to suggest then if we don't have the law of God, that even though we're still sinners by birth, our judgment, our, the wrath that we would warrant from that would be commensurate with that ignorance. Does that make sense? Are you tracking it? Is, uh-huh. that, is that a correct assessment? I would say yes. So if I'm, you know, uh, Aborigine or somewhere deep in the heart of somewhere, uh, I still won't be right with God because I'm a sinner by birth and right. not a sinner necessarily because of the law. I'm a sinner by by birth. Therefore, I'm still accountable to God. Right. Okay. Second follow-up then uh, for the baby. Uh, this is a mm. sensitive question here. Mm-hmm. I, I understand if, if you've got little ears, we're going to talk about serious things here. So here we go. If there's a baby who dies in utero, this baby would still be accountable in that they're a sinner, not by choice, but by birth. Mm. How are we to understand Romans chapter five as it applies to babies that don't make it? Yeah. Or just young people in general, you know, the kids. Right, right. Let me let me first talk about the problem with saying babies and young children uh Age if they die, go to heaven, right? That's the problem right there. Age of accountability. Yeah. It, the, the scriptures are silent regarding that. The closest we get is scriptures will talk about those that knew their right from their left. Those that were uh, allowed to enter into the promised land were those that were, were too young to, to know their right from their left. In other words, to have a, a general awareness of what is right and what is wrong. Um, when does that kick in though? That That's going to vary from every, from person to person. Like even just in my family, I look at my five kids and I, I think there's a different level of when the conscience manifested itself for the first time with, with all of them. And so when can we say, yeah, here's the age of accountability. Here's when they're actually, yeah, they need to repent and believe in the gospel. That said, we do see some other things in scripture that do support that. And, and one of the passages that people run to most often in defending the concept of infant salvation or child salvation is when David loses his, his child that was born to him through the sinful union of him and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. When David says, why would I continue to weep after the baby is born? I, he won't return to me, but I will go to him. Mm-hmm. And so people have said, well, look, David is saying he's going to go to be with the child in the afterlife. Right. That's, that's, that's shaky footing. Yeah. Maybe um, yeah. it's possible, yeah. but that's because the other thing David mind. could simply be saying is I'll go to the grave the child's in the grave, and he's just simply talking about death in general. There's no reversing that way to his way, right. 
but there is a way that he'll go. Right. He's going to die too. Right. But I, I, I do believe when we see other testimony in scripture, for instance, when Jesus holds up the child and says to such belong the kingdom of heaven, when he talks about childlike faith, I do believe that there's a dispensation of God's grace that would allow for us to trust that when we lose a child, whether through a miscarriage or uh, you know, SIDS or something like that, that we can have some confidence that that child is with the Lord and we will see that child again. Okay. So that's, that's critical. What you just said, there's a dispensation of God's grace for that because it would be exceptional, right? right? Romans five does not fit with this understanding. Correct. At least not the way that we're presenting. It. Correct. And admittedly, and and that's, what's so hard on this. And that's why it's, it's such a kid's glove type situation for us to, to handle this delicately because we can't point to any verse on one side of the argument or the other. Mm. Um, and it's, it's so hard and it's so hard. And I think by God's kindness, I think he's, he's given us a, a, a level to, of, of freedom here to be able to comfort those families who have lost children or who have lost infants and babies to, to say, you know, I, we believe that God is good and we believe that he knows what's best. And, and there are some reasons in scripture that we can hope that, yes, you will be reunited with that child someday. Can I just give you guys two verses? If you're near your Bible or you just, ha- you just have a place uh, to write this down, uh, Deuteronomy 139, this is the verse that Pastor PJ was referring to earlier as the people are afraid about going into the promised land. Uh, God says to them, as for your little ones who said, who you said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil. So they're young. They're under a certain age. We don't know what that age is, but they have no knowledge of good or evil. This suggests very young people. They shall go in there. Where is there? The promised land. So God gives them a gift of grace of entering into the promised land because they were air quotes here, innocent. They Mm -hmm. did not rebel in the same way their parents did. He says, and to them, I will give it and they shall possess it. So you see evidence. It's a glimmer. It's a shadow, but evidence of the way God treats people that are, again, air quotes here, innocent. Another one I would send you to is Jonah 4.11. Jonah 4.11. You might remember prophet Jonah sent into Nineveh to go preach to them. Uh, (laughs) Jonah is mad about this because God shows them mercy and grace, sends a revival. (laughs) Last verse of Jonah chapter four, God speaks to Jonah and says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left Mm. and also much cattle. God distinguishes, again, the air quotes, innocent. And again, again, we're not talking absolute here. We're talking comparatively. Uh, he distinguishes and discerns a difference between them and those who are rebelling with knowledge. This gives me, I mean, it's confidence. It's a small confidence, but enough to say right. the heart of my God is for those who don't, he's, he's willing to show grace to those who don't know. Right. Right. Because remember, we talked about this earlier in Romans chapter one, the, the, the chief indictment against humanity is the, the, the worship problem that rather than worshiping the, the creator, they have instead worshiped the creature. And Paul's argument to why they should worship the creator is that God has displayed, made himself known in creation. And so they should be able to see enough of creation to say something outside of this created all of this. Well, a six-month-old doesn't have that capacity to be able to do that. Uh, you know, a, a three-year-old doesn't have that capacity to be able to do that, right? And so, again, the sticky point in all this is when is the age of accountability click in? We don't know, and we're not going to give you one. We're not going to say one because the Bible doesn't give us one. But it does seem like Pastor Rod was saying there is that. That, There's something uh, there. That category. Yeah. Now, is there a danger? Because looking at Romans 5, is there a danger in saying, well, couldn't that couldn't God just do the same thing for John Doe Aborigine who doesn't hear the gospel? Couldn't God do the same thing with him? Well, and, and I think that's where we do go back to Romans 1 and say at some point that you know that God has written the law in our hearts, conscience, 
he, he's given us this concept of, of sin, this concept of, of what is right and wrong. There is a moral awareness that does click in with all of humanity ever since Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's there's a, a, a conscience, there's a, a moral awareness that clicks in there that we are accountable to, and that's the law of God written on our hearts. So um, in that sense, I would say no, though, as you brought up earlier, I do think there's a, a, there are degrees of what that wrath looks like in eternity. Jesus himself even said, look, if, if the miracle's done in in Capernaum had been done in in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And so he's saying it's going to be worse for you, Capernaum, than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he's implying, look, there's a level of an accountability Mm -hmm. to those that have been given much, much will be required to those that didn't have as much. I think the implication there is there's going to be a less of a standard still not anything any of us should desire right when none, you don't want to go to hell no matter what the degree of punishment would be however i do think there's a degree that's at work there helpful yeah just real quick here at the end um, of romans chapter five because it sets up where we're going to be going tomorrow uh, paul says here he says the law came to increase trespass well, okay well what does that mean well again if the law w- wasn't there and and so mankind was death was still reigning because the law wasn't there or whatnot here. He says, when the law came, trespass increased. Why did it increase? Because we became aware of it because now all of a sudden here's all of our sins because we've got the standard. And so the law is there. So sin is known and sin increases, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. That's a key concept to hold on to here that we'll pick up on again tomorrow when we get to Romans chapter six, because Paul is going to ask an important question in light of that. Man, if my sin leads to the, the abounding of God's grace, maybe there's an implication that I might draw wrongly about what that means for my life. Mm, I wonder what. Join us again tomorrow for another episode to find out of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.